know the holidays can be an incredible time of joy when we think about how thankful that we are, and it gives us an opportunity to observe a lot of meaningful traditions. Sometimes it gives us an opportunity to observe even some silly traditions, make some great new memories, gives us opportunity to be generous to other people, but it can also be a time of a lot of great difficulty, and it can also be a time where maybe we're missing loved ones, we're struggling with someone who's passed away or who isn't there to celebrate with us, or maybe we're wrestling with strained relationships, or it seems everybody else around us is like celebrating and reconnecting, and maybe you feel isolated and alone. And either way, whether you find yourself in a rough time during the holidays or whether you find yourself really looking forward to it and actually really excited about things, I think that we have to be anchored and centered in this, that the light that Jesus brings to the darkness, it helps us to be anchored in true gospel-centered joy, and that is real joy. And that that joy lasts. And today I want us to dive into the scripture so we can prepare ourselves and also we can prepare to be able to assist and help other people who may be struggling so that way we can continue to embrace that true light that brings everlasting joy. And so let's go over to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read from Romans 12 where the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Rome in verses 11 and 12. Romans chapter 12. Verses 11 and 12. Romans 12. I'll give you a second to get there. Romans 12, 11 and 12. Paul says this to the church. He says in verse 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. He says here, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. So he's talking about the passion in which you serve the Lord. He's saying, don't be slothful in the way that you're serving the Lord. Don't be lazy. Don't be haphazard or, you know, oh, I guess I'll do this, I guess I'll do that. No, there should be a fervency attached to serving the Lord. He says, be fervent in spirit. And that word fervor is a word that we may not use a ton, but that word in the Greek literally means to boil over. That's what that word actually translates as. It's to boil over. So there's like an intensity that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate in which the Christian should be serving the Lord. There should be an intensity to it. There should be this passion behind it, this boiling over passion to serve the Lord. And he's saying, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. It kind of also connects to this concept that we talked about a few weeks ago in Proverbs 9 and 10 where the writer in the Proverbs says to fear the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's the same concept of taking God seriously. Like this is serious. We need to be passionately serving the Lord, not slothful or not lazy in our zeal and in our passion. And so he's trying to help us to understand what this actually means. In Jonathan Edwards' 70 Resolutions, he explains this text by saying this, I want to live with all my might while I live for the glory of God. Paul makes this statement, man, at the end of verse 11, where he says, 
serve the Lord. There's this idea of serving that is attached to the life of a Christian. And it's not serving in the sense of, oh, I have to serve the Lord because I'm a Christian now and I have to do these different things. It's not this, this slothful or lazy or even negative attitude towards serving. It's actually this compelled passion that is so intense on the inside of me. And that can only come through us understanding and leaning into the gospel. And this is the idea there, that true joy comes from passionately serving the Lord as a response to the gospel. This is a response to the goodness of God and what he's done. This is me understanding that I can't save myself, that I, without Christ in my life, I'm actually positionally an enemy of God. Scripture says that while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were juxtaposed to the goodness of God, even when we tried to be good, even when we tried to earn his love, even when we tried to earn his favor, even when we tried to somehow measure up by our own strength, we always still fall short. There was only one who came, that perfect sinless sacrifice, and his name was Jesus. And he didn't come to do away with God's law. He actually said he came to fulfill God's law and to show us what it looks like to actually fulfill the law. But you and I can't. We can't fulfill the law. We can't do it on our own. We're weak, man. We get tempted. We give in to temptation. We struggle. We can be rebellious towards God in our hearts by trusting in our own way, in our own line of thinking, trusting in our own brand of goodness and not truly trusting that God is good. When we are... When you become a Christian, you learn these little sayings, right? Like you learn different things as a Christian. And one of, the, one of the little sayings you learn when you become a Christian is that God is good all the time. And and that's like how you get in the club. No, I'm kidding. You learn these little sayings, but, but that saying is true. And, and for the Christian, you understand the goodness of God purely rests in God being able to define goodness on his terms, not your terms, not my terms. God gets to call things that are good, good. Not you, not me. Look at the creation. If you read the very first few verses in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God made a whole bunch of stuff, right? And he just spoke into nothing, and then all of a sudden stuff started happening. Stuff began to be created. Animals, the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. And when he had rested after all this stuff, he looked back at it, and what did he say about it? It's good. God called it good. And then God put in the Garden of Eden his paradise for man to live in. He put within this garden all these good things, and he says, all these trees here you can eat from except for one. This is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What did that tree represent? That tree ultimately represents man choosing for himself what good actually is. That's man declaring and deciding what good is. He said, if you touch that tree and eat that fruit, that kind of tree is going to lead to death. And there's that tree that you need to stay away from because everything else I've already said good. And so here you have 99.9% of everything that God has made here is good. But if you want to choose... To decide what's good for yourself instead of trusting all this other that I've already told you is good. If you want to make it up for yourself and play by your own rules, then you can go over there and you can have that fruit. But I'm telling you, that path leads to death. That path leads to eternal separation. And that's sin, man. And that's where we have fallen over and over again. And that's where society is so messed up. Society continually thinks it can define for itself what is good. But here's the problem with mainstream society is that the definition of what's good constantly changes. It's never the same. 
We can't decide what is good. We can't even decide about eggs. We don't know if they're good for us or bad for us. Because you put out one study, they're good. And then a few years later, they're bad. And then it's just the whites. Just eat the egg whites. And then it's just, oh, now the yolks are good. But the yolks were bad, but now the yolks are good. Don't eat it boiled. Don't eat it fried. Just eat it cooked this way. And don't eat the the ones that are white. Eat the brown eggs. Those are better. Have the organic eggs. They're the better ones. Well, how do I know? Well, it has to be a chicken that is listening to the right music and the right vibe. And this chicken is like happy and he's not pumped full of hormones. You know, like those are the eggs you want now. And then they'll say, no, just stay away from eggs all because you're eating like, are you eating like the the whole beak and the, the legs and the feathers and everything when you eat it? I don't know. These are the things I think about in my private time. (laughs) We can't even decide if eggs are good for us. So we don't know truly what the definition of good is. Because good can be relative when we're in charge. Because it causes confusion in the world that we live in when man tries to declare for himself what actually good is. And we go through all of our lists trying to decide what's good. When God's already said, I've already defined for you what good is. I'm good. And so trust in me. And so that doesn't mean that good, according to God's definition, always feels good to me. Because sometimes it challenges me very much. But that's why the Apostle Paul, earlier in this chapter, that we just read these couple of verses. In Romans 12 and verse 1, he communicates this idea that in light of the mercies of God, like, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. The King James says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, like, I'm pleading with you, man. I'm begging you, in light of what God has done, in light of the mercies of God, you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy, that's separate. That's different from the world. That's different from what the world's chasing after. That's different from the things that have been normalized in the world and the things the world wants to call good. It's different. You're living by a different standard. You're holy. And you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He says, this is your reasonable act of worship or service. This is what it means to serve God with your whole life. This is what it means to serve God with your whole self. This is what it means to die to yourself, to lay down your life, to take up your cross, to follow him. It's in light of the gospel. It's a response thing, not a chore thing. We get this idea of serving God and serving in the kingdom is like this weighty field chore thing. Actually, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. I want to be a part of that yoke yoke is easy, burden is light thing. But for me to do that, I have to be positionally anchored in the gospel so that I'm seeing things correctly. Because in the middle of all of that, if my life is gospel-centered, if my heart is gospel-centered, what I'm seeing and what I'm doing, man, it's motivated by the joy of the Lord that is my strength. It truly does become a joy-centered life. Because when I serve, it's like I get to serve. When I give of my time, when I give of my resources, when I'm a part of something bigger than myself, impacting and investing in eternity, there's joy in that. Not this idea of, of, of being, you know, giving out of begrudging hearts and, oh, my, well, they better be lucky they have me doing this and this and this because, you know what, if, if, if they don't straighten up, then I'm going to stop doing this and that. I'm going to start doing something else somewhere. I'm going to stop serving. I'm going to stop giving. I'm going to stop doing all of that. And we use that and weaponize that in a very selfish and evil way. Instead, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul said that God loves a cheerful giver. 
That word cheerful in the scripture literally means, in the Greek, it literally means ridiculous. That's what that word cheerful translates as. It's the same word. And what it's saying is that it's not ridiculous to God, but it's ridiculous to people who don't understand. Why would you serve God in that way? Why would you give your time to him? Why would you give your life to him? Don't you see everybody else is living this way? Don't you see everybody else is going this way? Don't you see this is normal and what you're doing is not normal to what society is doing? Don't you understand that we're calling this good and your Bible calls it not good? Don't you understand you're going countercultural with the way that the mainstream uh, influence and the mainstream mindset is going? Don't you understand that? And you're like, yeah, I do. And that's why I'm living my life as a living sacrifice. It's not about me. And I'm not seeking acceptance from man or man's approval. I'm now seeking only acceptance that truly matters. And that's, I want to be accepted before God. And the only way I can be accepted before God is by receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's it. And that should bring the Christ follower joy. And that joy along with it, man, it comes so much else. But true joy comes from passionately serving the Lord. And it's anchored in the gospel. It's a response to the gospel. Because a person who is struggling with joy in the Lord is a person who is a soaker, not a server. Because you're not understanding the cross, you're not understanding the gospel, and instead you're just wanting to soak. What happens when you let a sponge just soak and soak and soak and soak and soak and soak and and you leave it out on the counter? It produces a wonderful smell, doesn't it? It's a wonderful smell. And it creates all sorts of neat little growth all around it. You know, it's like a science project. What's happening? No, that thing was not meant to just soak and soak and soak. It has a purpose. You see, it's soaking in so it can be poured out. It has a job to do. Just like a glass, if you were to set a a glass of water out on a counter and you would leave it for, say, a week and it's uncovered, it's just sitting there, it's a glass of water and all of a sudden you're thirsty and you say... How long has that glass been out on that counter? I've been seeing that glass. It feels like all week. Oh, yeah, it's been there a whole week. I'm really thirsty, but I think I'm going to pass on that because there's stuff floating around in there, and it's a mystery, and I'm not sure exactly what all is floating around in that glass. It doesn't look as appetizing as that fresh glass. Why? Because that glass was not holding that water so it could just hold it and be full. It was holding it to be poured out of so it could be poured back into and poured back out of over and over again, just like we are to be used for the Lord's service. We're jars of clay. We are being poured in. All the things that we read, all your studies, all your time of prayer, your devotion, I think it's great. Keep it up. I'm cheering you on with you pursuing, growing in knowledge and knowing God more. But why are you being poured into? Church, it's so you can be poured out of. We're not supposed to just be soakers. We're supposed to be servers. It's the things that God has been putting in me and doing in my heart I'm supposed to give that out. So as I receive love, I'm supposed to give love. As I learn more about forgiveness and grace, I'm to give that forgiveness and grace. Otherwise, I'm just becoming a gross sponge sitting there. He's given you gifts. He's given you things that he's poured into you, and it's to be poured out of. And you're doing it for him. You're not doing it for someone else. You're not doing it for their approval. You're not doing it so people will like you, cheer you on, high-five you. You're doing it because you're doing it unto the Lord. And it's in response, that's what Paul says. He says, in light of the mercies of God, or in other words, in response to the mercies of God, or in other words, response to the gospel. In light of the gospel, the gospel should be so overwhelming to the Christian that we should be so in awe 
of Jesus Christ. We should be so in awe of the love of God that was shown to us through sending his only begotten son that it should be the catalyst to bring joy in our life that we get to be a part of serving him and serving in his kingdom. That we get to do this. Not something that we have to do. Not something that we begrudgingly do. That's why Paul said, don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be slothful in this thing. Remind yourself of the gospel when it comes to serving the Lord. Be fervent in the spirit. Get yourself to the place to where you get so excited about Jesus that it's like this boiling pot that that it's starting to boil over because it's just so intense. And there's so much excitement and so much passion about serving the Lord. He said, be fervent. Be boiling over in your spirit when it comes to serving the Lord. Not slothful. Because happiness is pleasure, but joy is a sacrifice. There is a difference between happiness and joy. And that's very hard for us often because we confuse it. A lot of people have great difficulty differentiating happiness from joy. However, it is actually very simple. Happiness is merely external. It's fleeting. It can sometimes only be for pleasure. It's only achievable on this earth. And it can sometimes not necessarily be good. There is a happiness that we can experience that's not good. You get that hit of dopamine for swiping the credit card. You're happy for a moment because you swiped the credit card. You got the, you got the new thing you wanted. But then you have the old buyer's remorse. It was fun. It made you happy. That's not joy. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not joy. It's different. You have to understand that joy and happiness are different because joy, on the other hand, is internal. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It doesn't care who gets the credit. It's a spiritual connection with God, and it's purely good. It's purely good. And you can only truly walk in joy from knowing Christ because we need joy in our lives just as we need the Father in our lives. We need that communion and that connection with our Creator God. And that's why to be able to attain true joy, we must receive Christ. We must follow Him. Joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit of God in you. I uh, heard a pastor friend of mine last week preach and he said this, he was preaching on the fruit of the Spirit and uh, he said one of those things in the sermon that was like, you know, one of those, mm, one of those things, you know, he did one of those things where it was like really good. And you're just like, that's good. He said, you notice in Galatians 5 and 22, where you see it written about the fruit of the spirit, you notice that it's singular, not plural. It doesn't say here are the fruits of the spirit. He uses the word fruit, singular. This is fruit of the Spirit. He said, because often we think about the fruit of the Spirit in compartments to where we think, oh, I need to grow in patience and joy and peace, and I need to grow in, you know, long-suffering. I need to grow in these things, and we try to, like, balance it all out, whatever that even means, right? Where we try to balance everything out to where we get it all just right, where I'm good at all of it, and we look at it all individually. That's not the true way to view the fruit of the Spirit, because it's singular. Instead of thinking of it as individual fruits, think of it, he said, more like a cluster of grapes. He said, where you have all of these things that are all attached, 
to the same vine. It's this concept of if I have the Spirit of God in me, then there's evidence or there's going to be fruit of the Spirit of God on the inside of me. And that fruit manifests itself in these different ways, but it's still the same fruit because it's the same Spirit. It's not a different Spirit for every fruit. No, it's the same fruit. It is the results. It's us having the evidence of the Spirit of God on the inside of me. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God in you. It's a part of that. It's a package deal because here's the deal. You can't separate joy and contentment. You can't separate joy and peace. Oh, I have peace, but man, I'm really struggling with joy. No. If you have one, you're going to have the other. It's part of the evidence of the Spirit of God being on the inside of me. I'm not going to be able to separate this this is attached. It's attached to contentment. It's attached to peace. It's attached to the joy of the Lord that truly is our strength. And that joy anchors me because it helps me to take on the yoke that Christ told me would be easy and the burden that he told me would be light because there's joy in the journey. doesn't mean everything goes my way because uh, it doesn't. <laughs> and that's where we get confused. Because we think, oh, I'm following Jesus, everything's supposed to go my way. And when it doesn't, we get surprised. But even Scripture tells us not to be surprised. Peter tells the church, he says, hey, when you guys start getting persecuted and people start like criticizing you, don't get surprised. Jesus said, hey, when this stuff starts happening to you, don't be surprised. Like, what is happening to me? Constantly the church is warned, when you go through bad stuff, don't be surprised like some strange thing's happening to you. The enemy, he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's looking for that. He's wanting to discourage you. He's wanting you to feel isolated. He's wanting you to get upset. He's wanting you to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. He's wanting you to carry around offense. He wants that. He's trying to put you in a situation where you're not going to walk in forgiveness and joy. He's wanting you to be in those situations. So, of course, you have to be aware, I have an enemy that's arrayed against me. But also, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. Amen? What is that standard? That standard is the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. When I start with Scripture and I remind myself of the Gospel, I can get back to where the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where I'm just in awe of the Gospel. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I'm begging you, by the mercy of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. This is a reasonable act of service. This is a, this is a response, man. It's a response. And I want to do it. So I shouldn't be slothful in my zeal. I should be fervent in the spirit and serving the Lord. Here's our big idea for today. Joy is anchored by confidence in the cross of Christ. Oh, man, I want you to write that down, take a picture of it, whatever. Take a selfie with it. I don't care. <laughs> joy is anchored. That'd be weird if somebody did that right now. Um, joy is anchored by confidence in the cross of Christ. It's anchored. It's anchored by the cross of Christ. This is anchored in the gospel because joy in Christ will sustain you. It is a sustaining joy. It will sustain you through every trial. It will sustain you through every circumstance. You see, happiness is very circumstantial. If things are going my way, I'm happy. And we all like to feel happy when things are going our way, but I can still have joy even when things aren't going my way. 
I can still have the joy of the Lord that's my strength because the joy of the Lord is anchored in the truth of the gospel. It's anchored in the cross of Christ. When I began to think about, man, Scripture says that before I knew Christ, I was an enemy of God. And now I'm called a son. Now I've been adopted. I've been grafted in. I'm now a part of the family. When I begin to think about and meditate on and thank him for that, and my heart begins to churn out of this selfishness and this mopiness and this poor is me and this poor old me thing, and I start becoming thankful, and I start having my heart more pointed towards gratitude and awe and worship, all of a sudden something changes in my mindset. It changes in my perspective. It changes the way that I'm looking at my circumstances and the way that I'm looking at things because I know that anything in this world could be taken from me in a moment's notice and I'm not entitled to be able to hold on to any of it. I was just having a conversation with somebody about this idea of entitlement where people feel that they're entitled to certain things and man, it's a big trap of the enemy. When you find yourself beginning to feel entitled or owed in any area... That is an area where the enemy is going to come in and cause some sort of offense and some sort of hang-up in your life. That's where you're going to have strained relationships when you feel like you're owed something. That's where you're going to have challenges in your finances when you feel you're owed something. That's where you're going to have challenges with brothers and sisters in Christ, even in family members, when you feel that you're owed something, when you feel entitled to something. Scripture is very, very clear about what we're owed. It says, owe no man nothing except to love him. When you feel that you have done so much and you begin to pull out your list of good deeds, all the accomplishments that you've done, all the things that you've done and how it's not right and how it's not fair and I'm owed this, when you begin to take on that mentality, it is an open door for the enemy to cause offense, hang-ups, and he will stop you in your tracks, buddy. He will cause so much problems for you in your life. When I can let go of feeling owed something, And I can truly say, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to walk in peace. Help me to walk in unity. Help me not to feel entitled or owed anything because of what I've contributed. We'll even do that to God. We'll try to put God in our debt. God, didn't you see what I did back there? You see how big of a check I wrote? You see how nice of a person I was? You see how many hours I served and volunteered? You see how dirty I am right now because I was willing to you know, do this or that and, and, and serve in a certain way. See, see God, so now I want you to do this for me. I want to cash in my chips. And God's like, I don't play that game. God doesn't play those games. We play those games. I did for you, now you do for me. God's not that you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. It's trusting that he's good whether I get my way or not, amen? The moment I begin to feel entitled and owed is the moment I am forgetting the gospel. Because if you want what's owed to you, that's called a wage, right? I want what's, what's mine. I put this in. I want this back. I put this work in. I put this effort in. I want a wage. The scripture is very clear about the wages that you and I have accumulated and, and racked up for ourselves. It says the wages of sin is death. Uh, and he's not just talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death, anathema. He's talking about eternal separation from God Uh, I don't want that no thank you I don't want what I'm owed (laughs) because the moment I begin to feel like I'm owed something I need to remember the gospel because I can remember okay Lord I didn't get what I thought I deserved or what I actually did deserve instead I got grace that's the beauty of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 where the apostle Paul 
begins to talk about that it's by grace you've been saved. And even, even the faith, even the faith that you had to believe in that grace and the sufficiency of that grace, he said even the faith that you were given to believe was a gift from God so that no man could boast. You see, even the faith, because you can't even say, well, look at how much faith I had. Yeah, God even graciously gave you that faith to be able to believe. That's how dependent we are to be on him. That's how big he is. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares about us. That he would give us what we need to believe in him. He would give each man the measure of faith. And I believe that's that saving faith that you need. And yes, our faith should grow, but every man can see the gospel. I believe that God wants every person to see that beautiful gift that he gave us by sending his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Isn't that an amazing, incredible gift? Well, then in light of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be slothful to zeal. Be passionate. Be fervent in the spirits. Instead of feeling like you're owed something. As if you can somehow put God in your debt. As if somehow we can hang debts over each other's heads. In the Lord's prayer, he said, Lord, forgive us our debts. As what? As we forgive those who have trespassed against us, those who are indebted to us. You see, freely we receive, so freely we give. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. It will sustain you. It will give you the joy necessary to help you move forward in this journey and keep you from getting stuck. The enemy has so many people stuck because they feel owed and they're angry. They feel entitled and they're angry. The enemy has so many churches stuck because people feel they're owed. People are angry. If we would trust the Lord that his ways are better than our ways, if we would trust Matthew 18 when God told us how to walk out forgiveness and reconciliation, if we would see the true, the, the true mark of being a believer, as Jesus said, where he said that it's going to be the love that you have for one another, if we truly dispensed the free grace we received, man, things would be so much different. We wouldn't be able to get stuck. But for that to happen, we have to be anchored in the gospel. Romans chapter 12, let's, let's go back and let's read a little bit more. Let's reread verse 12 because we haven't talked about that a lot. Rejoice in hope is what he tells us to do here. Rejoice in hope. He tells us to be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. What does that constant in prayer do? That constant in prayer keeps me dependent upon him because I'm regularly reminding myself I need him. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's this hospitality and generosity piece in there. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Check this out. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He says rejoice in hope. There is a joy, there is a rejoicing in hope. There is a joy there, the hope that we have in Christ. It's the same hope that sustained God's people while they were waiting on the promised Messiah. That's what sustained the, the saints of old, man. They didn't know his name was Jesus. 
But they knew there was a promise and that hope sustained them because they knew God was faithful and they knew that if he said it through his word and through the word of his prophets, they knew that he was going to do it. They trusted him and they lived like it was true. They lived actively by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. Talking about without faith, it is impossible to please him. And then it goes through all these stories of these people that even though they saw the promise from afar off, they didn't get to truly see it in their lifetime, they still lived like it was true. And God credited to them righteousness because they still trusted in what God was going to do. Hebrews eleven thirteen. check that out. That's a powerful text. Be patient in tribulation, he says. Perhaps this season you're in a tribulation of great difficulty. Maybe something unexpected. Maybe something difficult that you're walking through. Maybe something in your relationships. Maybe something at work. Maybe some, some bad diagnosis or something scary happening financially. Something job-related, whatever. I don't know. Something with your kids, with your grandkids. Something with your friends. Maybe for some of you young people, something at school that's really tense. That's just weighing on you. Something in a relationship, whatever it may be. Maybe you're dealing with loss. Maybe you're dealing with the unknown and you're just afraid of the unknown. Maybe you're grieving. Whatever it is, can I tell you this morning, you can still possess joy in the middle of all of that. You can still possess joy in the middle of all that. And here's why I know that. Because joy is not contingent upon your circumstances. Ah, come on, Pastor. I'm struggling today. Joy is not contingent upon your circumstances. Joy is contingent upon the finished work of what Christ has done all by his big bad self. Jonathan Edwards said, you contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You understand that that situation, that, 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 that quote, puts us in a situation where we have to realize that Christ's love is bigger than anything we can comprehend or understand. Because it is truly by grace we have been saved. We have been saved by his wonderful, amazing grace that we sing about, that we declare. And it's sufficient not just to save you, church, but it's sufficient to sustain you. So what do I have to do, man? I have to remind myself of the gospel. I have to be anchored in the gospel and I have to get to a place where I'm reminding myself of my need for Christ and his sufficiency to meet my true need, which is to be reconciled and made into right standing with a holy and perfect God, which he has done all on his own. I, I didn't even help out. And when I try to help out, I just make a mess of things. And I try to look at all the things that I've done and say, look at what I did, God. And God, God is not impressed. He wants us to cry out to him in that moment of desperation. Jesus, I see my need. I see that I need you in this moment. I always need you. And sometimes you, you feel like he's a million miles away, but his word says he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's why at BCC we start with scripture. Scripture is our starting point because my feelings will lie to me. My emotions will lie to me. My own thoughts will betray me and lie to me. So I have to go back to what's true. Well, what is true? Is truth just something I make up? Is truth just something I grab out of thin air? Is truth something that I just get to decide for myself? No, truth is founded on the solid rock of the revelation that Jesus Christ is enough. Jesus told Peter, hey, 
this revelation that I'm the Christ, the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. This is the truth. This is who you are and whose you are. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. You have to breathe in that newness, man. So just take a deep breath. Because Paul tells the church in Rome, be constant in prayer. Look for opportunities to be generous, to be selfless, to be hospitable. Don't seek to be vindicated and validated by others because that path will lead to darkness. That path will lead to a lack of joy. Find joy in Christ and let his light shine through you this week in your home to others around you. Let that light shine. Let that joy of knowing of who you are and whose you are. Let that joy cause you to serve with passion and zeal and a fervency and urgency to serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, not just on Sunday, but beyond Sunday. Amen? Living our lives every day in service of the King, living with an eternal focus, seeking the kingdom of God first and His righteousness. Yes, Lord, I'm reminding myself that I've been made righteous because, man, You've done what I never could have done. I'm a sinner that you have redeemed, you have saved, you have cleaned, you have made new, you have born again, you have grafted in, you have adopted, you've brought in, you've chosen. We're chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart, living for the service of the king, for the glory of the king. Serve him with zeal, amen? So Father, help us to do that. Help us to serve you with joy today. And if somebody's in here and they're struggling with that reality, I pray that you would lead them to that place of being reminded of the source of true joy, being anchored in that gospel. Lord, also, if there's someone here that does not know you, that does not know your goodness, I pray they would experience that today. Because I know, Holy Spirit, you are drawing people. You are opening eyes. You are softening hearts. You are melting even the hardest of hearts, the most stubborn person in the room that has just made the decision that they were just not going to give in to what you're doing in their heart. Lord, I know you can even melt that hardest heart, that most stubborn person. And if that person's here in the room today, Lord, I pray that you would draw them, humble them, help them see their need, help them to cry out to you and say, Jesus, I need you. And we know that you're faithful. You'll meet them right where they're at. So we pray you do that all over this place today in our hearts and that you do this throughout this week. Help us stay anchored in the joy of the Lord that is our strength. We love you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.